BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Thanks for coming in, Keith. Half hour later today. Yeah, I got a little bit of a different time. I met with, because I had a pledge to meet with the legislative interns on their last day at the, at the building. Very bright group of young they people are. who come into the every legislature year. every year. Every year, year. Yeah. very bright group of young people who go on to uh, some. Some of them actually become MLAs. Yes. later on, George yeah. Abbott was a was an intern. Barry Penner, Barry Penner I was an intern. Yes. Jessica McDonald, former head of the civil service, was an intern. Yeah, so uh, it's um, it's always a group. Great of, program, by the way. If you got a bright kid in uh, university, yeah, university you grads sh- should check that program out. Yeah, it's uh, it's a really and it's interesting uh, listening to their experience this year. Last year's program, of course, took place right at the start of the pandemic, so they had zero uh, things going on. This year was more of a challenge. They had outdoor meetings. They weren't able to travel as interns usually do, but at least they got to see a hybrid session, which was sit in the chamber, you know, social distancing, watching the twenty four MLAs. Not not the whole eighty seven. So it's a different experience, but at least uh, they enjoyed part of it. And it also they also get to work uh, in I believe both caucuses. Like you get all three sign. caucuses. Yeah. So they they spend uh, first few weeks in a government ministry, right? Working in the civil service. Then they get assigned. They don't get to choose. They get assigned to the government caucus, or one of the two opposition caucuses, both right. the Greens and uh, the BC Liberals, and and they work in that uh, in that caucus setting. And they pay pretty good too. Uh, it's also nonpartisan, and it's yeah. uh, it's a uh, it's a great program. So awesome again, program, got, awesome program. Got a kid who's just graduated from uh, university or is about to apply for next year's program. Okay, now they're going to be uh, avalanche of uh, applications coming in, but they get a lot of applications every year. It's tough to get into because it's, there's a competitive process. Yeah. They pick very well, bright kids. Vaughn Palmer's daughter was uh, an intern. Yeah, Jeff Meggs, who's the chief of staff to John Horgan's daughter, was uh, an intern as well. Okay, yeah, good program. All right, let's talk about. Um, the vaccine supply, and you reported on Global News last night that we're getting a lot of vaccine coming in, right? Yeah, well, you and I were talking yesterday because we get calls, of course, people really want to talk about vaccines and which shot they're getting. And we talked to you yesterday, we were running out of Pfizer, literally down to like 12,000 doses of Pfizer when uh, we've administered more than 3 million doses of, uh, of Pfizer. Uh, but then in the last 24 hours from, uh, well, from, um, from Wednesday to Thursday, suddenly 480,000 doses came BC's way, about 243,000 Pfizer doses, 226,000 Moderna doses, even 10,000 AstraZeneca doses. And now we're scheduled to get another 700,000 doses next week, 328,000 of those being Pfizer. So now uh, we do have a, a significant supply of Pfizer. Interestingly enough, on Wednesday was our record number of vaccinations in one day. More than 81,000 people got a shot. Of that, 60,000 were Moderna doses, which meant a lot of people who got Pfizer for a first dose had no problem taking uh, Moderna as a second dose, as is the recommendation from public health. You can mix and match. There's no downside. They're almost they're basically identical vaccines. But now there is, uh, you've got Pfizer's first dose, you have a greater chance of getting Pfizer's second dose because we have a lot of Pfizer now. Okay, so let's say you go to the clinic and for your second dose and they've got Pfizer on hand and Moderna on hand. Would they 
default give you the same one if it's available? Would that be the default oh, choice? I, I would think so. Yeah. I mean, I, every clinic is, seems to be a little different than yeah. others. I mean, pharmacies are different than clinics. Pharmacies have AstraZeneca. Small town clinics seem to be different than large uh, town uh, clinics. So, again, distributing Pfizer's not it's got a little more challenges to it than distributing Moderna but uh, right now you're asked to take the the dose that's offered to you that you're not obligated to but you're you're requested and advised to okay as you mentioned a record number of vaccinations in a single day was it over 80,000 well, that's over a huge 80, over 81,000 wow and that includes second doses as well yeah uh, but yeah so we have the capacity to do 85,000 in one day and we may huh. indeed be uh, approaching that at some point uh, but it's just great news that in the space of, you know, two weeks, we got uh, basically 1.2, 1.3 million doses. Okay, that's very encouraging. At the same time, though, there are the worries about the Delta variant, right? And we got Teresa Tam, Canada's national health officer, had some uh, dire warnings well, about that. I just warned that, that if it gets out of control, it could constitute a fourth wave. Ugh. But it, it does seem to affect... So, first of all, the Delta variant is one of three or four variants of concern. The most rampant one is the B117, the alpha variant first discovered in the UK, but the Delta one is considered through modeling likely to become the main uh, variant of concern that's active out there. Uh, right now, about 90% of, of all cases uh, testing positive are, are labeled one variant concern or another, but as of last week, uh, or as, as of midweek this week, only 6% of the cases were of the Delta variant in BC. But that number is starting to grow in Israel, where the Delta variant, which is one of the highest vaccinated populations on Earth, where the, the Delta variant is starting to grow a bit. Uh, but it's growing up mostly among unvaccinated people. And this is why the urgency is on to get people with two doses. One dose isn't necessarily enough to protect you from getting the, the uh, Delta variant. The Delta variant is considered more transmissible, so it's more infectious. It also can lead to higher hospitalization rates, but it's not more lethal. It doesn't kill people in, in higher numbers than, than COVID-19, regular strain of COVID-19 or the other variants of concern. But it's proving to be a problem in the UK. It's proving to be a problem in certain American states with high unvaccinated populations. And hopefully, because of some moves made early on in BC, Dr. Danuta Skoransky of the BC Center for Disease Control was one of two health officers in North America who advocated spacing out the intervals of doses at the beginning because the first dose was seen as so effective. And that allowed more people, particularly younger people, to get inoculated at higher levels quicker. And the Delta variant seems to affect people in their 20s and teenagers, disproportionately high numbers okay. than other ages. And we've got, we're getting those people vaccinated at a higher rate okay so that's starting to look like it was a pretty good decision to to uh, decision. stretch out the decision the waiting time between doses it was, uh, it was controversial at the time but right. it's proven to be absolutely the right call okay let me ask you about this dispute here between carolyn bennett the federal indigenous crowns relations minister in the justin trudeau government and jody wilson raybold the independent mp from vancouver so now this all started when jody wilson raybold went on twitter um talking uh, and she writes if if you care enough to make things right, she was talking to Justin Trudeau here on Twitter. If you care enough to make things right, and this is in the context of the discovery of, of more unmarked grave sites at a residential school. If you care enough to make things right, stop your selfish jockeying for an election, which no one really wants, and do what you promised in 2018. Jody Wilson-Raybould going after Trudeau. Now, she later disclosed that she received a text message from Carolyn Bennett, the Federal Indigenous Relations Minister, and it was a one-word message, and it said, 
pension? Question mark. The, I think the clearest suggestion being that, okay, here's the rule for a, an MP to collect a pension. You must serve a minimum of six years mm-hmm. in the House of Commons. So if Justin Trudeau calls an election before, I think it's mid-October this fall, and Jody Wilson-Raybould lost her seat, she would not qualify for a pension because she'd be just under mm-hmm. six years of service. So the suggestion from the Indigenous minister here was, is this why... Is this why you're calling out Trudeau an election? Because you want him to wait so you can get a pension? And Jody Wilson-Raybould then went public with this, and Carolyn Bennett apologized to her. Now, let me play a clip here for you, Keith, and get your, get your take on it. So this is uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould um, talking about this uh, text message she received. What happens to, to Carolyn Bennett uh, is certainly up to the Prime Minister to determine, but uh, I think that we should all take pause that we have a, a Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations whose uh, instinctive response is what she sent to me over um, uh, a text message, and, and I am not shy to call out systemic racism where it exists. Okay, Jody Wilson-Raybould there. So Carolyn Bennett, the federal minister involved here in this in this thing, has apologized. Is that where it ends there, or is she in danger of not getting shuffled out of there by Trudeau? No, honestly, Trudeau answered this today. He defended her, uh, so okay. I don't think it, anything's going to happen before the, the next election. After the election, though, I think there's going to be a shuffling of a number of ministers, but it's not going to happen beforehand. Okay, this is a stupid thing for her to do. It was. To, to, <laughs> to send a text message like that to Jody Wilson-Raybould, and, and I don't know, what was going through her mind when she did that? Like, if you think that someone like Jody Wilson-Raybould is going to stay silent on something like that, no. you know that is a bad calculation. Yep. So, um, I, I, I think it's an, I think it's one where it was a, a really bad mistake. But like you said earlier, with the calls for Harjit Sajjan to resign over the military sexual misconduct scandal, there's no way that Trudeau's going to offer up a trophy to the opposition here with an election and looming. This, the days of resignations in cabinet are really over uh, for controversies and scandals. I mean, it doesn't happen in Ottawa. It doesn't happen in B.C. It doesn't happen in, in most jurisdictions. It's just, I mean, that's sort of a creature of, of, par- of the parliamentary past. It used to happen with regularity, I think, in the 80s when, when I started here. Uh, I think 12 ministers resigned under Bill Van Erzam, uh, either resigned or were fired for controversy or because of revolt. That just simply does. That rarely happens. And I think, you know, again, you're not going to see that at the federal level. But after an election, after, that's, yeah. that's a good time to start moving people around who've had some problems in, in their portfolios. Trudeau gets, other ones. Trudeau gets reelected here, which he very well might do. Um, that's when I think you see the, uh, the, the cabinet getting reshuffled. Oh, for again. sure. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. For sure. All right, welcome back to the show, Baldry's Beat. Phone lines are open, 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Hey, Keith, real quickly, next week will be a big week with the yeah. restart plan. On July 1st, which is this Thursday, that will be step three of the restart plan. What are the big changes we'll see that day? Well, first of all, uh, travel the country, uh, not just yeah. travel the province. You can travel around the country. Uh, masks will become recommended but uh, optional. 
So the mandatory mask will, will no longer be there, but the expectation a lot of people will continue to wear masks on their own volunteer basis. Big change, no, no uh, limits in stores in terms of crowds. But I think the big change and the most noticeable will be in restaurants where you can now have more than six people at a table. You can you know go to dim sum with 12 people, sit around one of those big round tables in a Chinese restaurant, that type of thing. And um, again, the restaurants are going to be able to accommodate more people than they have up until now. But it's, uh, it's, it's part of a gradual reopening. It'll be interesting. Uh, we've opened with more contacts now, uh, and the case numbers are not going up. Uh, they went up a little bit yesterday, but nothing uh, big. But the hospitalizations continue to decline. So she's going to take a Dr. Bernie Hainer will be interesting. Probably take a look at this uh, mid-July, which will be one incubation period after these restrictions are eased. And if the cases are still low, um, that sets us for September 7th, which is basically wide open. No, right. no uh, restrictions at all. But she's going to be looking at this in two-week intervals. So the next big one is next week, um, Thursday, July 1st, is when the new uh, Step 3 takes effect. You're going to see an announcement on this from the Premier, uh, Dr. Henry, Health Minister Adrian Dix, Public Safety Minister Mike Farmworth, who will also formally not extend the state of emergency. Wow. So that's okay. the first time that's uh, happened since it was first invoked in, in late March of 2020. So we'll probably see like a, like a midweek uh, press conference. Yeah, or Tuesday or Wednesday, look for a big news conference. Okay. 604-280-9898 is the number star 9898 on your cell john and langley hi hi how are you how are good. you mr boulder good it's nice to nice to talk to both of you the only comment i have is i hope that mr trudeau doesn't call an election right now and if he does i certainly hope that he doesn't get elected because i've had enough of his wishy-washy policies that are not mm -hmm. doing the middle class or anybody else any good that's all I have to say. Okay, thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for the call. Well, all signs are certainly pointing to an election called late, late August, perhaps, and have it sometime in the fall. I mean, the poll after poll comes out showing the Liberals have a healthy lead over the Conservatives nationally, but also a significant lead in Ontario, even competitive with the Conservatives in Alberta, which is almost unheard of. Uh, the latest Abacus poll had the had the Liberals within striking distance of the, of the Tories in Alberta, which is an extraordinary situation. And Arrow, too, just doesn't seem to be uh, connecting with voters. Yeah, it's been it's been really tough for the Conservatives. Aaron O'Toole has been uh, a regular, pretty fairly regular guest on on this show. Um, and when you talk to him one on one, I think he's a pretty effective communicator. But for whatever reason, the the, the Tories just seem kind of stuck. Well, it's hard. Under, under it's, his leadership. it's hard for any opposition party to get a lot of oxygen through this pandemic. People yeah. continue to be consumed by the pandemic and COVID nineteen. They're not paying attention to policies as much, and so it's hard for. O'Toole and other political opponents uh, to find wedge issues right now that, that really w resonate with voters who just aren't paying attention. And it's despite the long list of personal scandals that have been attached to Trudeau and his government, whether it's SNC-Lavalin or, you know, the vacation at the Aga Khan's Island or, or wearing blackface or even the list just goes on and on. But it doesn't it doesn't seem to matter with voters. Yeah, it do, well, it does so far, but we'll see. Once we get into a crucible of an election campaign, we'll see. Yeah, well, Maybe it changes. people said that in the last election campaign. I mean, for him to survive the blackface thing was, you know, which was right before the last part, election. Part of the, one of the big things the liberals have going for them, you've got to vote for someone. And so are liberal voters going to turn away from Trudeau yeah. and vote for O'Toole? It's hard to see that. Yeah. Jagmeet Singh, though, is a better campaigner than, than either of them. And it'll be interesting if there is a fall campaign. 
I think it'll be a true election campaign. You know, the last provincial election was not a campaign. It was a virtual campaign. A, a virtual campaign. I think the next election campaign will be a live in-person campaign, That's and that point. will help O'Toole and the Conservatives, because that will allow them to function in a public arena that they haven't been able to function before. Helen and Ladner. Hi, Helen. Uh, I'm just going to be short here. Uh, sure. uh, while I think of it, there are two Michaels. I haven't heard from them for quite a while. And I think, have we forgot them? Anyway, what I'm calling about is, Trudeau, why are we rushing the elections? To, 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 what? To make sure they get it because everybody said that they're fine. I, we saw that in uh, John Horgan, okay. didn't he? He took it and he got in there, but he hasn't done as, I don't think he's done as good as when he, he worked his way up. I want Judy Rabel to get back to okay. her and do what she wants. Thank you for Thank you for the call, Helen. And lest you think we've forgotten about the two Michaels, we did discuss the two Michaels on the show this week, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we, we have not forgotten about them. And, you know, there's another one where Trudeau may be vulnerable, uh, you'd think, in an election campaign. But the reason why he wants to pull the trigger on an election, I think, is is just the usual political reasons. He's, he a, he's ahead in the polls, and he thinks like this is the time. Yeah, if you don't have fixed election dates, you call an election when you, if you think you can win. Yeah. Okay. One more, uh, Janice and Langley. Hi, Janice. Hi. Hello. Hi. Go ahead. Um, my concern is for children under twelve that haven't gotten the vaccination. We haven't been hearing anything about that, and it was just said by Keith that. Children, yeah, children, teens, and um, you know, twenty-year-olds. The Delta variant is definitely affecting them more. So that's my concern. Yeah. So uh, the vaccination rate for twenty-year-olds is around sixty-eight percent, which is you know encouraging, but not high enough. A vaccination rate for twelve to seventeen-year-olds, I think, is now approaching sixty percent. Again, we want to get that number up, but nobody under 12 is getting vaccinated because there hasn't been any clinical trials cleared yet to allow children of that age to get either of the vaccines. Thanks, Keith. Have a great weekend.